Thanks for listening to the Secular Hubcast, a podcast made possible through a grant from the American Humanist Association. This show is a project of the Secular Hub, a Denver nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting community, altruism, reason, and education across the diverse secular community of the Front Range region. For more information and to become a member, visit secularhub.org. Hello, this is Jesse. Just a quick announcement before the episode begins. Our original plan for the Mueller Report episode was to do it all in one sitting and have it all come out in one episode, but it turns out that that was overly ambitious. Having listened to it through, I realized it needed to be cut up into two episodes to really do it justice. What you're hearing now is part one. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Secular Hubcast. I'm your host for the evening. My name is Jesse Gilbertson have kind of a large group with us, so I'm going to start with introductions with Chauncey. Chauncey, how are you doing tonight? My hey, Jesse. Friend. I'm doing pretty well. It's the morning, though. Right? Somewhere, uh-huh. somewhere. Okay, cool. It's it's whatever time you want it to be inside your own head. How are you doing, Chauncey? I'm doing great. Okay, well, welcome. Thank you. Also joining us, Melissa. Melissa, thank you for joining. You're welcome, and thank you. How have you been lately? I've been pretty good. <laughs> well, I'm really glad to see you here. Uh, you've been kind of jumping in for more episodes recently. So I'm really glad to have your voice as part of the podcast and the discussion. So thanks. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> cool. And our final guest is Mr. AJ. AJ, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. Cool. So this is not your first time on the podcast. You not appeared technically. You appeared in an earlier episode that we did with Mike. It was yes. Science March. Yes. Which was a very fun episode. A lot of chanting. Yes. And marching and that sort of stuff. So That's right. This is my first time in studio, though. In studio. How has so it nice. been so far? It's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're, uh, we're very glad that you're here. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's kind of a weighty subject that we're talking about tonight. And I think of all the episodes we've done, I put more energy and research into this one than any before. We're talking about the Mueller Report. I thought it was a very nice time to do an episode on the Mueller Report because we're actually... This week is the two-year anniversary of the order by Rod Rosenstein that created the special counsel in the first place. That's, how, that's why we know Mueller's name, is because of that order. And obviously, the investigation has run its course. The report has come out, at least the non-redacted portions, which is the vast majority of the report. And we've, we've had a chance as a group to look it over. Well... Um, not me so much. <laughs> <laughs> None of us around this table have read the entire Mueller report yet, although I'm pretty certain that I'll get to it like this year and everything. But we did we definitely split it up into different parts because, you know, you know, many hands make light work and as a group we can understand things. We don't have to we, not every single one of us has to do all of the work. And it's it's not just with physical tasks, it's with like intellectual tasks too. So AJ The reason we kind of had you here, uh, first of all, it's nice to see you. Uh, I know you became a family man, and that can cut into sort of socializing and yes, and that kind of kid stuff. You got to do all these this grown up stuff now. So, but we were able to get you back. Yeah. Uh, When the Mueller report had first come out, you got really interested in it right away. Yes. I think you of the four of us here, it's safe to say (laughs) you dove into it, and and yeah. So, 
what was it in those first days after the Mueller report came out that got you so interested? I mean, it was it was like Christmas after two years of anticipation for <laughs> for finding out, you know, after all the speculation and rumors, and I followed some like internet researchers who were doing their own following of the facts as they came out. So to actually like get to see the report when it came out and not have it go through a filter of a news organization or somebody on the internet was really um, something I'd been looking forward to. And I'm definitely one of the people who had high hopes on the consequences of the report, let's <laughs> okay. say. Okay. Um, so not really a comment on that at this moment, but I, I immediately started like not reading the report, but following other people's highlights of like, oh, check out this section or this summary or those little blurbs. And those really got me engaged in the first few days and made me, you know, in my mind, separated it from like, this is just some boring legal document that the Justice Department released to like, this is something I want to read and okay. really understand. Yeah, fantastic. You make a couple of good points there. So we're definitely going to kind of get into expectations. We're going to get into the little of that discussion as we go along. But yeah, the excitement of it. And the other interesting point you make is about how it has been, you know, the, the coverage that has, at least the coverage I've consumed in the media so far, is somebody picks a specific point from the Mueller report, shares some of it, and then they discuss it for however long. And they try to pick and glean certain things out of it. We wanted to do something a little differently, which is actually cover the entire report. And we wanted to look at the overarching narrative of it. So we split that up between the two of us. So it's going to be you and me, AJ, covering the report in general. Now, Chauncey and Melissa, I like your perspectives because you guys have been following media reports and doing some study, but you haven't actually, like, news study of the news, but you haven't actually been reading the Mueller report. So it'll be really interesting to see, because you, I, I suspect that you guys are not going to have the narrative view. You're going to have, like, more of, like, a episodic understanding of this part of the story and that part of the story, but maybe not how they integrate into the whole. So please feel free to, you know, if something like that comes up where you, you know, something catches your attention and you see how it fits into the greater whole, I would love to hear that. Yeah. So I, I just want to take a bit of a step back. So one of the things that intro that got me excited about the Mueller report was actually things that I saw AJ posting. <laughs> so, you know, I was listening to the the news like everybody else was and getting the perspective that was being sort of presented by each side. And so hearing or seeing some of the different excerpts that conflicted with what I was hearing and it just wasn't consistent with the storyline that mm -hmm. I was hearing was, uh, kind of enlightening and it also kind of got me more interested in going into the details and learning. So I'm kind of looking forward to the fact that you both have really invested the time to kind of listen to the whole narrative and not just take what's been fed. Uh, and I'm looking forward to going back and forth and seeing what you learned. Thanks. Yeah, I'm definitely interested too. I mean, I've read a little bit of it, but I want to, I want to hear the whole story. I want to hear it, you know, straight from the, the actual work, you know, not, not filtered. All right, so I wanted to start our discussion where the special counsel investigation began, which was on May 17th, 2017. So we're sitting here at May 15th, 2019. So almost exactly two years to the date of order number 3915-2017 from the Office of the Deputy Attorney General. So I'm, it's really short. If you've never read it, I'm just going to cover. I'm just going to cover it real quick. 
Quote, appointment of special counsel to investigate Russian interference with the 2016 presidential election and related matters. By virtue of the authority vested in me as acting attorney general, in order to discharge my responsibility to provide supervision and management of the Department of Justice and to ensure a full and thorough investigation of the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election, I hereby order as follows. A. Robert S. Mueller III is appointed to serve as special counsel for the United States Department of Justice. B. The special counsel is authorized to conduct the investigation confirmed by then-FBI Director James B. Comey in testimony before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence on March 20, 2017, including 1. Any links and or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of President Donald Trump and 2. Any matters that arose or may arise directly from the investigation. C. If the special counsel believes it is necessary and appropriate, the special counsel is authorized to prosecute federal crimes arising from the investigation of these matters. And that's about it. I cut out a little bit of legal, and I think we're going to do quite a bit of that in this discussion, because there are many, many references to federal law and to statutes and all that kind of stuff. So we're not going to read the whole Mueller report here, but we're going to have segments like that. So, uh, Melissa... Had you ever read the order from Rod Rosenstein creating the special counsel before? That or no. Okay. It was pretty darn simple, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's one page. It's like double-spaced. It's not even wow. that hard to read. So it's kind of crazy to think all the work and all of the political stuff that's come out of it came from that one little... And this little tiny thing. One little sheet of paper. <laughs> AJ? Yeah. We're going we're gonna to give it to you now because the, the Mueller report comes in two volumes. So it's over 400 pages long. Volume one is approximately half that, about 199 pages. Volume two is a little less, about 170-something pages. And then there are four appendices that are really cool. Uh, If you haven't looked at them, there's some really cool stuff inside of each appendix. But AJ, you read volume one, or at least the vast majority of it. Yep. Yep. And you're basically, you're just going to take us through the whole ride that's right. You know, I don't. I haven't read Volume One at all, so I only know bits and pieces that I've heard. So okay, well, where where do you want to start? Yeah, get some uh, popcorn, I guess, or beverage of choice. <clears throat> Buckle up. I want to, at a high level, give the bullet points. There's five major sections in Volume One, other than the introduction and the executive summary, which are both one or two pages each, and very straightforward. So the five sections are the special counsel's investigation, which just sets up, it references the order, it talks about what statutes within the Justice Department and what norms and regulations they expect to follow, and how many people they expect to hire, uh, it just sets up the investigation and what their goals are and what their limitations are. Then it goes into section two and three are both about Russian activity, so section two is the Russian um, Active Measures social media campaign. And then, uh, so that's the Twitter and Facebook accounts, their botnet, organizing U.S. rallies, uh, things like that. Uh, Section three is the hacking of like the DNC, Hillary Clinton's campaign emails, the all their servers, um, and then the distribution of that content and how it played into other things in the timeline. And then the the largest section in volume one by far is uh, documenting the 
connections between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. And like you said, volume one is about 200 pages. And that section alone is 108 of those pages. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. It's a big one. And then there's a, a summary at the end that talks about what prosecutions they decided to make. Right. Absolutely. You gotta, yeah, because that's an important point because we want to, when we're done with this, we're going to look at, did Mueller actually do his job? Did he fulfill the order that he was given two years ago? So, right. Section one, what do you want to so cover that's with a, the, a big, yeah, that's you a said big order. Se- section one yeah, so is legal framework. Should we go into junk. the introduction and executive summary? I think um, since they really, you know, I think everybody out there who's interested at all in this, uh, like I said, there are one or two pages each. So instead of reading like William Barr's four page summary, like why don't we just read the summary that Robert <laughs> Mueller wrote? What? <laughs> well, yeah, that you make a good point. The summaries are really excellent. And they kind of cover the whole thing. They they really do. They're really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's one thing that I found really interesting about the report. Because I want to just d- discuss for one second. It's like a mosaic. It's composed of emails that were c- turned up in the investigation, congressional testimony like like from people like Comey, Twitter, and interviews that people did in, in the open media. The report has hundreds and hundreds of footnotes that describe all these sources. So Yeah, that's right. And like I was saying earlier, a lot of the gems are actually in those footnotes. There's actually <laughs> yeah, the text are. of various tweets are footnotes in the document or um, quotes from different individuals involved. So it's really interesting information in the footnotes. Absolutely. So in the introduction, one of the, I think the second paragraph just says, the Russian government interfered in the 2016 presidential election in sweeping and systematic fashion. Evidence of Russian government operations began to surface in mid-2016. In June, the Democratic National Committee and its cyber response team publicly announced that Russian hackers had compromised its computer network. Additional releases followed in July through the organization WikiLeaks with further releases in October and November. So that right there, you know, if there's anybody else out there who is still denying that Russia had any involvement in this, like that's not contested, you know, that's proven through and through. Yeah, I would agree with you. It's stated pretty clearly. What do you guys think? Cause there's, have you, have you heard any media portrayals of people like contesting that Russia did it? Cause Trump made statements like it could be anybody. It could be a guy and it's sitting in bed. That's right. Trump, Trump made that kind of, those kind of mm-hmm. refutations. Have you, have you guys heard anything like? I don't think yeah. of anything recently. No. Yeah. yeah, not in the media. It's more like just regular people, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. Is, yeah, uh, you guys are listening to the wrong media. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, but uh, I know that there's a sort of narrative of people who who undercut it for sure. Yeah, I still see memes on Facebook saying. Thanks, Russia, for convincing me to vote for Donald Trump in 2020 or something like that. You know, they, they make a mockery of it, but these these are actual events that happen. So, and yeah, the preponderance of evidence is definitely on the side of that. It was. Hold on, I got another reference. Give me a second. Sure. On January 6, 2017, U.S. intelligence releases public version of Russian intelligence info, and you can find this on. I'm gonna have links to all this stuff on the website. It's going to be a lot of links, but it's on dni.gov, and that's director of national Intel- intelligence.gov. The United States intelligence community established that it had was highly confident that Russia had committed the attacks 
on 6 January 2017, the background to assessing Russian activities and intentions in recent U.S. elections, the analytic process and cyber incident attribution was released. And it has the seal of the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. And for those who don't know, the Director of National Intelligence was created after 9-11 to sort of synthesize all the intelligence gathering arms, whether it's military or FBI or CIA. So the DNI is like the umbrella over all that stuff. And they put out a very nice, beautifully created, actually, <laughs> um, assessment talking about what Russia did in 2016. So yeah, it, I mean, I've been persuaded of it since 6 January 2017. Yeah. The only the only people who aren't persuaded are people who believe that it's like the deep state, right? Uh, who's secretly doing whatever it takes to whatever madness. Yeah. So. Uh, onwards. So I guess let me let me sort of ask a question about yeah. that. Um, so Russia Russia did bad things, yeah. but I guess I'm sort of wondering whether or not we would be accepting of us doing those sorts of things to other countries. Okay, that's definitely a whole other discussion. What do you do? We want to go around the table real quick. If if you found out that the CIA was trolling, I don't anyway. What, in Iran, if they were doing elections in Iran, and we were like creating false Facebook, would you? How would you guys feel about that? I don't think it's just as wrong. I mean, I don't think anybody should be messing with anybody else's elections like that. You know, it's they're supposed to be free and fair, and if somebody else is messing with them, then they're not. Okay, yeah, that seems pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from, a, from a point of like, you know, we believe in democracy. Mm-hmm. From, from I, I don't know. It seems like a real world politics. I think countries do this kind of crap to each other all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I think it'd be great if there was less meddling. I would stand in favor of that. It it really like sucks and hurts to think that it happened to us, that this other country, Russia, is so advanced <laughs> in their like ability to like infiltrate and cause chaos in the very fabric of the democratic process. And we're like way behind, you know. If if it is an arms like we need an arms control treaty for elections or something. Because I think it's it's the wave of the future. I think there's going to be more of it. I don't think there's going to be less. But I'm sure we'll get into that later too. What about you? I think you're right. Um, we're going to see a lot more of it. <laughs> and it's a lot more than uh, just some Facebook memes. I'll, I'll tell you that. That's a little hint for what's to come later. Uh, yeah. So back to the the summary. Just another blurb that does say that the investigation identified numerous links between the Russian government and the Trump campaign, although the investigation established that the Russian government perceived it would benefit from a Trump presidency and work to secure that outcome, and that the campaign expected it would benefit electorally from information stolen and released through Russian efforts, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. You sounded so disappointed when you read that. <laughs> I am a little disappointed by that. Um, okay. It's, yeah. So so it does assert that Russia knew that it would, be, or it considered that Trump would be beneficial for it. Yes. And it also asserts that the Trump campaign believed it would benefit if it received help from Russia. Yes. But it did not authoritatively establish a link that right. would that would be coordination. Yeah. So this a lot comes down to That's really interesting. what the authority is in the Justice Department and what they set out to do. So, so yeah, what they're saying is that they did not establish a conspired or coordinated effort with the Russian government. Okay. 
one thing that's sort of irritating after reading this report is that the media and all of us, everybody uses the word collusion, which is not actually a federal crime that they were even investigating for. They were searching for conspiracy, which... And, and like coordinated conspiracy, which has a much more specific and detailed meaning. So the failure to establish that specific crime is, it's a lot harder to accomplish proof of that than it is to establish that like people talked. Okay. Yeah. I think we should stop saying collision. We yeah. should just banish it. Agreed. <laughs> it's just because it's kind of a red herring. Like yeah. there's no collision. Well, collision yeah. isn't a thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a thing. It's a concept. It, it means people working together kind of behind the right. scenes to make something happen. But in terms of law, it's not. So I'm, I'm a little confused here because I remember hearing something about there being a meeting in Trump Tower with, I think, Don Jr. and Jared Kushner and somebody to talk about information that Don Jr. thought the Russians would have on Hillary. Yes. Why is that not collusion? Or, damn it. Why is that not <laughs> conspiracy? or cooperation or whatever that is a great question that's a fantastic question and that they call it the what are the trump tower meeting the trump yeah they call it the trump tower meeting yeah um and it was on june 9th 2016 okay yeah Yeah, it's also referred to as the june 9th 2016 meeting we'll get uh, you're going to cover that i'm going to cover that down down the road and Um, school uh, i think it might be referenced more in volume two the the trump tower meeting might Mm -hmm. be referenced more in volume two because there are a lot of efforts to sort of cover it up more than like any specific crime or anything. Cause it's, it's not against the law to meet with people, to lawyers from Russia. Yeah. So exactly. Did they commit a crime at that meeting? Well, there's no evidence that that happens. There's nothing that the special counsel was able to turn up that proved that a crime took place at that meeting, but it was established that that meeting took place. Right. We know who's there. We know the communications that led up to that meeting. Um, we know some events that happened afterward that indicate maybe what happened at that meeting, but we haven't been able to prove that a crime actually took place there. So it's an interesting one. <laughs> I think that's it for the introduction. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah, um, so, I mean, it's, it's yep. not, not a lot to it. There's not a lot to the introduction. That's uh, I think it ends on the bottom of page two, so it is a two-page summary. The executive summary goes into like a little bit more detail. It lists... A, a very simplified timeline of like 2015, this happened, spring 2016, this happened, et cetera, et cetera. But I think I'm going to cover that material in a little bit higher resolution in a few minutes. So okay. I'll just say that's what's in the executive summary. Yeah. Let's just leave it at it's that period right before the election, like a couple of years before the election to like right up, like right up to the election. Right. Right. There is some stuff in the report that goes into events after the election. Uh, there were some contacts between Russia and the Trump organization while uh, he was transitioning into the White House. Which, right. The Obama lame duck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so there is some of that, but it, that's about the timeline covered. Okay. The next big thing is the Russian active measures social media campaign. Okay, can you do me a favor? Can you tell me what active measures means? Absolutely. Let me search. <laughs> Active measures, a ter- it's a term that typically refers to operations conducted by Russian security services aimed at influencing the course of international affairs. So that's what we'd call anything that they do to interfere with Iran or us. North Korea. Or it's a, it's Whoever a, they're fucking with. 
with. That's right. It is a military operation aimed at influencing international affairs. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And this one was social media based on us. Social media was the weapon. We, the target. That's correct. So it started actually as far back as 2014. The IRA was sort of put... IRA? Yep. The IRA, which is the Internet Research Agency, uh, has nothing to do with Ireland. So just put that (laughs) out of your head. Internet Research Agency. Which is a Russian... Which is a Russian... um, I've heard it referred to as a troll farm. Yes. Yeah. This is basically like the business in Russia where... People went to work every day and logged into <laughs> 50 or 1,000 Facebook or Twitter accounts and did all their wonderful like, things. I'm picturing some like office block with cubicles yeah. and guys in like, like tucked in shirts. I'd like to imagine that's the okay. case. Maybe some like, like boring water cooler talk like about... Like co- the coffee maker's broken again. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever. Um, so, <laughs> so that's that's the IRA. So the IRA is the, the main actor for social media and there's... A couple names associated with that that you might want to keep in mind, which is um, Prigozhin. Let me see what his first name is. Oh. Okay. <laughs> his last name is Prigozhin. <laughs> Yevgeny Prigozhin, head of Russian companies Concord Catering and Concord Management and Consulting, supported and financed the IRA, which engaged in an active measure social media campaign to interfere in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. So that's Yevgeny Prigozhin. Exactly. So, sorry, that, that sort of brings up another question for me. It sounds like we're talking about military influence of foreign elections, but it sounds like this private guy was also helping fund the IRA. Is it? Yes. I don't know his backgrounds, okay. but Russia so, Russia is like a, they have a different form of government. So if you're a big enough company, I think you're part of the government. I don't think it's it's like in America, Apple and the government could get in a fight. But I think if if Apple was in Russia and like the head of Apple was like, no, we're not going to unlock these phones, then he'd be gone and somebody else would be there because the president of the country would be like, you're not standing in my way. So yeah, I, to the best of my understanding, the the government and big business and corporations and stuff are are much more closely con- controlled by the government. Okay. Right. And there are a lot of um, pictures, public pictures of Prigozhin and Putin, like shaking hands in public or at, I don't know, different events. Okay. So, now, Putin was in the KGB. Was, was Prigozhin? Did you look him up? Um, I didn't look him up. I, I don't know, him. actually. It's irrelevant. Yeah. It's irrelevant. Yeah. There's right. Like so we got Prigozhin and then the, the Concord businesses. So like we're saying, it's this big office building, presumably full of internet users. So your typical nerdy office building. You work. You work in one of those. Yep. <laughs> All you guys do. Most of what they did at the IRA. This may feel like old news now. That's going back to 2016 and 2015. But they operated Twitter accounts, Facebook pages, and uh, Instagram accounts. They had, I believe, several hundred thousand Twitter accounts. Uh, they'd purchased 3,500 Facebook ads for their pages. Okay. Uh, so what they would do is sow any kind of discord they could in American culture. Um, these, these Facebook pages, for example, were called like being patriotic or stop all immigrants, but they didn't just target the conservative side. They also had pages like black matters, blacktivists and LGBT United. Though most of the things they posted were like, even, even on those, sort of left-leaning pages, they were like, I'd never vote for Hillary or things like that. Um, okay. So they, they definitely were leaning in favor of Donald Trump. 
they also had some sort of impersonation. It wasn't just like social activism pages. There was like a Twitter account called 10 underscore GOP, which was made to look like the Tennessee GOP Twitter account, Okay, um, which is interesting. Members of like Donald Trump, Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, they've all retweeted tweets from that Twitter account. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. That's another. So it's, it's Russian propaganda that was getting. Yeah. Anything picked up by the, those guys and retweeted and spread around. Exactly. Okay. But from an American perspective, we didn't know that Russia was behind those at the time. Right. Right. So that goes back to like proving collusion. Like, yeah, they, they retweeted these tweets, but can't really say that they knew who was behind the tweets at the time. Right. It just looked like a bunch of Republicans from Tennessee. It didn't look. Yeah. Okay. So, um, one thing that I find interesting in all that is the IRA purchased 3,500 ads on Facebook to promote these pages. And so Facebook actually made a hundred thousand dollars off of this active measures campaign. That's it. That's it. But I mean, a hundred thousand dollars. That's, that's pretty cheap to influence (laughs) an election, man. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, Yeah. Like for the hub, we need to raise like 250,000 just to try and get a down payment on a building. Right. We could like topple the government of like two countries for that much money. (laughs) That's right. Maybe not. That's just the Facebook ads, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're all volunteers, so we'd have volunteer troll farms. Good point. Anyways, Um, yeah. So troll farms, um, they also had a botnet, which. We've heard, I think, in the media a lot in reference to this sort of Russian hacking. If you're not familiar, a botnet just means a lot of accounts or potentially computers being controlled by a few people. So in this case, they had tens of thousands of Twitter accounts that they would then use to like and retweet the tweets from their main accounts, like 10GOP, to get them momentum, to get it to show up on on trending topics. It would be like if you could clone yourself 10,000 times. And then you're like, I created an account. Okay, clones, everyone follow me. Right. And retweet me. Go like this tweet that I just made. Yeah. And but it's it's all automated. It's not exactly. people at all. Yeah. So So not only do we have hundreds or thousands of fake accounts, but we had robots, like programs promoting send, that sending out nasty tweets and retweeting lies and yeah. that kind of stuff. Okay. And this plays into our psych- psyche, right? Like if you see a tweet or a post on Reddit and it's got 15,000 likes or 15,000 upvotes, you sort of think, oh, like this must be legitimate information or like other people like me. Yeah, especially this way. if it confirms your biases. Exactly. You're going to be like, oh, well, it must be true because they, they believe the same thing as me. Yeah. So one really interesting thing that the IRA did, other than just post memes and tweets, is pretended to be grassroots activists in America. And they would reach out on social media to other people in their regions or not their regions because they're in Russia, but they would reach out to <laughs> like, they would focus on a geographic reason, right? They would target people with conservative interests and pose as these grassroots activists and ask them say, Hey, I'm with the Tennessee GOP, but I'm out of town this weekend. We want to host a rally. Could you be <laughs> my, my man on the ground for that? Uh, and they would actually get Americans to go out and physically go to the streets and, and host uh, Trump rallies or other things. That's so amazing. Yeah, That's... a lot of it was Trump rallies, but there's some like really interesting ones. Like, there's one case where they had a guy walk around New York City 
dressed up as Santa Claus with a Trump mask. <laughs> okay. That's pretty bizarre. So that's really Chelsea, interesting. You used to be on the board at the hub. Like how hard was it to motivate volunteers? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't say I was an expert at it, but it could be challenging. <laughs> yeah. These guys are doing it from across the world. Yeah. Man, right. Yeah. Genius. I have a lot yeah. to learn. There's another thing that happened. Uh, Prigozhin turned 55 in 2016. And as a little birthday present, the IRA had a bunch of Americans write, Happy 55th birthday, dear boss, on a sign and post pictures of themselves <laughs> on social media. One guy actually took a picture of that sign in front of the White House. Wow. So that's just oh my goodness. the extent they went to. That's clever. It's really impressive. That Yeah. I bet Progression was impressed. He was like, good job, boys. Good job. Man. We got him. <laughs> wow. Did did the, I, I don't know if it covered it, but the people who wrote the sign and stuff, did they know it was for Prigozhin? No. I mean, that's the thing. Because it just said, dear boss. Okay. So it was like, hey, I mean, I don't know what the tweet said. But Weird. They just that's... said, like, could you write this, dear boss? And like. God, they must have been cracking up. They must have just been laughing. Seriously. It's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> well, that's you what know, I was saying. But it's really impressive the amount of manipulation they had. So that, I think, pretty much summarizes the social media campaign. All right. Um, so I sort of got to go back to my, my earlier question about, like, where is the line drawn on foreign interference? Like, what makes this, well, some of the, some of the interference is kind of obviously fraudulent, um, but some of it may be less so. Like, they convinced Americans basically of something that they probably already believed in and just sort of got them motivated to go out and do these things. What, what in particular sort of makes it bad? Is it the deception part of it? Would you object to any form of that persuasion? Well, here, let me make a different metaphor. Okay. What if, uh, what if you went out to a bar? I know you're a big drinker. Oh yeah. You never love, love the booze. So much fun. No. Okay. So let's say your friend invited you out to a bar and you had to go. And let's say two guys were at the bar, Bill and Todd. And they've had a few drinks and they're both kind of, they're having a disagreement. And you go up and you're like, Bill, he said your wife is ugly. Todd, I think you should punch him out, Todd. You know, and you didn't throw a punch, but you like, these two guys were having a little disagreement and it flared up into this big fight because you were like really egging them on. Like, that's how I see it. It's just like these interlopers, they're not part of our system. They came in. They spent money on Facebook, like deceptively. They didn't. They didn't say we're from the Russian government. Here's our money. They 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 represented themselves as like Americans. Uh, it would if they had gone and like tried to make a campaign donation to Trump, it would have been illegal. There's the foreign foreigners can't do that. But this way, they were able to act indirectly, and they didn't. They didn't tell a person to vote. They inflamed people's emotions and acted on a really like subconscious level to like make people hate each other. And that is like all of our politics. Yeah. <laughs> that is definitely. I think one thing this demonstrates maybe isn't that these particular acts were illegal or anything different than what we do to other countries, but it is a tangible demonstration that Russia thought they would benefit from a Trump presidency, that they had a, a multi-year agenda to place Trump if they could. So that covers the Russian interference, but only like half of it. The, the social media side was something that they did on their own, but that's only half of what the interference stuff that they did on the internet. So what else did they do? The next part to me feels a little bit more dry. It's less entertaining because there's, there's no like 
people walking down New York City <laughs> with Santa Trump. Claus. But Trump Santa. This is the stuff where maybe you can say, yes, they broke a law doing that, which is their hacking of the email servers, the GRU, which is like the military intelligence agency in Russia. Uh, they had two military units that were focused on hacking computer systems in America, um, particularly Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign email accounts. And then they also had a group that focused on the DNC servers. Democratic National Democratic Committee. Nation. Yes. So were they successful? They hacked in? They were absolutely successful. Uh, they started in, I think, April 2016. And June. It, it's basically all April to June 2016. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was all the hacking. They yes. were able to so between, get in, scoop up what they needed, and get back out. The uh, GRU managed to get, I think, something like 70 gigabytes of data from the Democrats, either the convention overall or Hillary Clinton in specific. Wow. Um, that's a lot of gigabytes. That's a lot of gigabytes of, and we're not talking like MP3s or like ripped movies. It's, it's, <laughs> ripped. it's things like documentation on donors or... Yeah, internal internal strategy documents or things like that. that, Yeah. um, When you put it together with the social media piece, they knew who to target. If they had a donor list and they had uh, contacts from the campaigns, they knew sort of who to target or not to target. Well, not only that, but they can go through and find the embarrassing stuff and release it out of context. Exactly. Which this was leading up to June 2016, and the infamous Trump Tower meeting is June 9th, 2016. Okay, infamous. Which, so we're so far, the Russians have been messing around on social media, mm-hmm. getting everybody all riled up, mm-hmm. and they've been sneaking around inside Democratic servers, on, stealing stuff. What happened with those stolen documents? We haven't covered that. We yeah. know that they were stolen. We know that the Trump campaign had hopes to get them <laughs> on June 9th and failed. But what did actually happen? Okay, yeah. So, talking about those hack emails. Just got to get it all back <laughs> in my head, this next section. Yeah, these releases are sort of like sprinkled out throughout this timeline of the 2016 election cycle. Well, I'm going to share just a couple things from, yeah, go from the it. timeline. All right, so we have March, IRA begins hacking Clinton campaign volunteers and employees. And in April of 2016, you have the IRA hack emails from the Democratic National Com- Committee. Mm-hmm. And then two months after that, on June 14th, you have the cybersecurity firm working for the DNC announces Russian hackers have infiltrated the DNC. So they're like, hey, this is when it becomes public and known to the world. So that's in June. But the content of those hacked emails and stuff, all that's still secret. It hasn't come out yet. But it's that summer right before the election. It's campaign, which stops. And this is, this is still during, like there's still like, 19 guys on the Republican side. Hillary and Bernie are still going out. Mm -hmm. It's like that part of that campaign. Right. So, exactly. And I think the biggest drop of documents from this hack on October 7th, 2016. So, the election's a month away. October 7th, the Access Hollywood tape drops of (laughs) Donald Trump. Right. right? Grab him by the pussy. Hours later, WikiLeaks releases its first load of documents that were hacked from the Clinton campaign chairman, John Podesta. Yeah. So pretty interesting time. Pretty interesting timing there. there. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I mean, and we're talking about four weeks before the election when both of this, when this happens. 
Just chaos. Right. Yeah, so we have the first batch October 7th, hours after the Access Hollywood tape comes out. We have the first batch of Hillary Clinton emails. And this is obviously a media control thing. You want to displace one story by putting a fresher, bigger one on top of it. But November 6th, four days before the election, another batch comes out from WikiLeaks. Another tranche of emails comes out from WikiLeaks, like thousands and thousands more documents right before the election. I'm not aware. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Do you guys remember that? Melissa, were you paying attention during the election season? I was, I was, <laughs> because I really didn't want him to win. Yeah. And But I'm trying to remember what the second batch of emails was all about, because I remember there was the, the one where they were disparaging, like, Bernie Sanders and all that in the emails, but I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember what the other one was. Yeah, that's like the Podesta stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, where they're like t- talking about how to engineer Bernie out. So mm-hmm. can, yeah. I, I don't remember. I mean, it was so many. Yeah. I don't know if I was really paying attention at the time because there was so much information. And especially with there was the Access Hollywood tape and Donald Trump was like, oh, it was just locker room talk. Like he was just deflecting. And then he was like, well, Hill or Bill Clinton did worse stuff, you know, just all that, all this irresponsible statements, like, mm-hmm. I'm not, no responsibility, you know what I mean? And so I don't know what was in those emails, but they were designed to like hurt Hillary. Mm-hmm. Like, even just, just showing that they were compromised and it's embarrassing. Like, if you, if you mess up and somebody hacks your stuff and you lose the power to control it, they control it and they will release it to the world. Even if there's nothing specifically damaging in there or embarrassing, just the fact that it's out there and you lost control of it is embarrassing and damaging. Oh, yeah. Do you remember what the timing was of this relative to when James Comey came out and said that there was more information about Hillary that... So, yeah, it was 11 days before the election, so like right before Halloween. Okay. I guess I'm just wondering if if any any of his actions were motivated by some of this stuff. Because I think that was what was in my mind leading up to to the election more than, I guess, my knowledge of the WikiLeaks stump was was Comey and his suggestion that there might have been more to investigate with regards to Hillary's emails. Right. Uh, that's that's a whole different thing. Uh, yeah. Th- this doesn't it doesn't really come up in the report. There's some like the the obstruction of justice stuff where that comes up, but I don't think we can talk about it, that in this podcast. You can be mad at Comey. Because he, he didn't talk about the investigation of Trump at all. He said, we're reopening or whatever it was. Uh-huh. But then he, yeah, so that was just a big mess. So, yeah, go ahead, Chauncey. This is just a, a sort of off FYI. So I'm looking at the um, sort of timeline for Comey's thing. And it's October 28th, 2016, that he announces to congressional leaders that there's more to investigate. And it looks like it was based on... Uh, investigation into Anthony Weiner, so probably not the emails associated with uh, this. That's right. That's right. The, okay. we, the Weiner, yeah. the Weiner October <laughs> surprise. Yeah, I forgot about that particular wrinkle. <laughs> um. <laughs> Sorry, it took me a minute. <laughs> but now the Trump Tower meeting is, is something special because this is this is is this the first time that we have Trump. People around Trump and Russians, like, together, or what? Yes, basically. Uh, so after hacking these accounts and, and extracting all of this information on the Democrats, the Russians reached out to Trump Jr. in an email, said the Crown Prosecutor of Russia offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia 
as part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump. And then Trump Jr. responds with, if that's what you say it is, I love it. How is that not conspiracy? How is that not conspiracy? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, so the Crown Prosecutor of Russia offered, quote, to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia. How is it not? uh, And then Don Jr. says, if that's what you say it is, I love it. Well, he doesn't say the Crown Prosecutor is offering stolen stuff that was obtained through a crime. He just says, it's her dealings in Russia. It's like Russia has some, some secret information. Technically... Like, I see what you're saying. It looks really bad. I don't know if it's illegal to take help from people from outside country. I know you can't take money from not, you know, other countries' nationals. But can you take, like, let's say Russia, or let's say Hillary was partying one night and got all crazy and they took some embarrassing pictures of her. That wouldn't be illegal. It would be obnoxious. And Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm yeah. having trouble. Well, why, 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 what's, what's going on? Why, do you, why, why is that a big deal to you? Um, you know, I, so I guess I'm just sort of having trouble understanding where, where the line is for conspiracy. Um, certainly both Trump and in this case, Trump Jr. were soliciting support from the Russians and accepting it. Uh, Trump in the case where he publicly sort of made the statement about Russian, you know, Russia, if you find any emails or something, I can't remember what the statement was. I have to get involved with Putin for I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. He doesn't respect our president. And if it is Russia, which is probably not, nobody knows who it is. But if it is Russia, it's really bad for a different reason. Because it shows how little respect they have for our country when they would hack into a major party and get everything. But it would be interesting to see. I I will tell you this. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. Let's see if that happens. That'll be next. Yes, sir. But And then Trump Jr. in this case, in contact with folks from the Russian government who are offering dirt on a candidate. Right. Quote, um, if it's what you say, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so... If the line isn't there, it's just like, where is the line? Um, I guess, as you mentioned, maybe the legality of maybe getting the information, procuring it, or, you know, maybe if they were directly working together to commit uh, an act that was illegal after that, I don't know. I just, it seems, it seems pretty fuzzy to me. It doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't seem clearly illegal or clearly on the good side of things. No. <laughs> well, too, did they know how they got that information? Because I think that would be a line, too. If if Trump Jr. knew that they were hacking her, that's, they're not turning them in. It almost seems like it's too easy for a foreign power to just not say why they or how they obtain the information. Yeah. And then the American can say they have plausible deniability or they can have plausible deniability. And that just doesn't seem especially right to me either i mean i think that's why it's so tricky that's why it's so hard to prove this conspiracy stuff because nobody's going to generate evidence that would incriminate themselves there's going to be a lot of secrecy so yeah that's definitely i think part of the frustration a lot of americans are feeling who 
AJ, you, you yeah. referred to it of like this, this report did not give you what you wanted. Like you were wanting some kind of smoking gun that would incriminate Trump or whatever. Right. Something like that. Right. And it wasn't like that because it's really slippery. And it turns out like everybody calls Trump really stupid. But I think he's actually really good at sort of slithering in, you know, on just this side of what's provable and legal. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. This, the, the more I got into this report and tried to summarize the events and get to those like, well, this is what happened. It's like a fractal. You get down to a level and you're like, well, okay, but they did that. But then there's this one piece that's missing. And then, but this other thing could maybe fill in that piece, but not quite because the timing doesn't line up or something. And it yeah, just, it's like a jigsaw puzzle with just enough yeah. pieces missing. So, so sorry, we got off the subject there. There is, there is hope though, that oh, I have yeah. found in this report. Which <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. A lot of the redactions, like, a, a large portion of them for anybody curious the redactions are uh explained like in the redaction it says like this is redacted because it exposes the names of innocent people or there's a grand jury sensitive data or whatever yeah we'll take a second to talk about redactions because they're all through the report and there are four different categories harm to an ongoing matter unrelated third parties or whatever they call it grand jury stuff that has to remain secret and intelligence stuff yeah. And so you'll be reading along, and right in the middle of the sentence, there'll be a big black blob, and it says H-O-M, harm to ongoing matter, or whatever. It has a little... It, 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 it doesn't give you any information, but it tells you why you don't get that information. Right. And that's what gives me hope. There's a lot of these redactions in the middle of interesting paragraphs about Don Jr. or Jared Kushner or Donald Trump. Well, that's kind of interesting, yeah. I say ongoing matter. I'm like, well, Okay. But your brain can't help but try and plug something in there like, oh, there's got to be something juicy. I remember seeing one redaction that was like towards the end of a line and then it wrapped the line and it was exactly two characters long (laughs) on the next line. And it was like, Junior would fit those two letters very well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's why I was thinking stone because some of the boxes are like about five five long. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So... So at this meeting, there were three people from the Trump campaign. There was Junior, there was Kushner, who's the son-in-law, husband of Ivanka, the house husband of Ivanka, and Manafort, who was the campaign director, who has a very checkered and interesting past. But he he was the campaign director in the 2016 Trump campaign. Right. So these three guys were at the Trump Tower meeting June 9th, 2016. And there was a Russian lawyer there. I don't have her name. <laughs> Who cares what her name is? <laughs> there was a Russian lawyer. She was working for another one of these Russian oligarchs. And she had some, some news from Russia, from the top. So okay. here's what it says about the meeting. It says who attended. And it says it lasted 20 minutes. Trump Jr. invited Veselnitskaya to begin, but did not say anything about the subject of the meetings. Participants agreed that she stated... Yeah, it's like a total... I, I think my notes are lacking here because... The meeting is just like not what we thought it was going to be. Okay. Like, there's no evidence of a document exchange. Is the is the short version of the story? Okay. Um, so there was a Russian. So there was a meeting in Trump Tower, June 9th, twenty sixteen. Right. We had Manafort, Don Jr., Kushner, and this Russian this Russian attorney called Natalia Veselnitskaya. Right. She was there at the tower. And what did, what did she say? Did she proffer documents? Did she proffer anything useful? 
from what we have, which is, I think, uh, Manafort's testimony and some emails, uh, the meeting was actually kind of a bust, even for the Trump organization. I think they were expecting to get something about Hillary or something meaningful. And they were looking for their smoking gun. Yeah. And uh, this this woman. Veselnitskaya. Yes. <laughs> Veselnitskaya. Uh, and there were two other Russians there. One was Ah. Ahmed, I'm terrible at that. Forget those guys. Forget those guys. The point is, they wanted to talk about these the Maginsky Act, which is uh, prohibiting U.S. adoption of Russian Russian children. Well, the Magnitsky Act was actually sanctions against Russians, especially particularly high-ranking yes. Russians. Yes. In retaliation, the Russian government stopped a program where Russian children were coming to America to live in with in American homes and become American people americans so that was the sort of tit for tat like right because um, russia did some bad stuff killed this guy named magnitsky in prison like tortured him to death and then so in retaliation congress sanctioned russia and then russia said no more kids for you okay yeah so that's all she wanted to talk about and it sounds like they couldn't come to any sort of agreement in that meeting i think uh trump jr said that it was like a bust basically. it was a bust yeah uh, one Russian person, Kavel Edza, similarly recalled that Trump Jr. asked what they have on Clinton, and Kushner became aggravated and asked, what are we doing here? He <laughs> <laughs> was getting pissed yeah. because they weren't proper. Like, they, they got blue balled. They thought they were going to get some incriminating <laughs> stuff on Hillary, and all they got to hear about right. was just some And then the Russians went into more talks about this Maginsky Act, and how much it's hurting Russia and wanted to change the topic to that. So it really only lasted about 20 minutes and nobody, nobody went away happy. It sounds like nobody got what they wanted out of it. Okay. So that's very interesting because looking at it from an outsider, you think why would these Trump campaign guys meet with Russia? They're obviously going to do devious act. The fact that nothing came about, it was just a big waste of time. Does that change it in your mind? Chauncey? Not not necessarily. I mean, if you go in intending to commit a conspiracy and you fail for whatever reason, I don't know that that really exonerates you. Right. So to that point and back to that, like it just keeps getting deeper layers. That meeting was on June 9th. Trump had a rally scheduled for June 13th, which up until the 9th, the topic of that rally had been scheduled as Hillary Clinton. It was just like supposed to be all about the Clintons. And then after June 9th, he changed it to be about um, national security. So you can speculate there that when they didn't get the documents they were expecting, <laughs> he had to come up with something else. <laughs> or it could be any other number of reasonable explanations. Yeah, but have just been being a spaz that day. I don't know. I mean, the official explanation for the change of topics is that the Pulse nightclub shooting happened that weekend. Um, I think the 12th yeah, that was or the Le- 11th of June. Orlando, Florida. Yeah. Um, shooting. And so there, there, was a, there was a shooting. And so maybe it made sense to talk about national security. That's their official line is that the shooting happened, so they changed topics. Okay. But again, just layers deep, like did they or didn't they conspire? Okay. Do you know if they ever rescheduled that Hillary talk? I do not know that. Okay. Yeah. So that pretty much sums up the tower. It was a lot of anticipation on everybody's side, including mine. (laughs) And Yeah, it was was a nothing burger. Yeah, there was just... At some point in the meeting, Kushner sent an iMessage to Manafort stating, waste of time. That, right. so that, he had, that he sums phone, up the... He had his phone out. <laughs> exactly. He's like peevishly texting like, 
Can we get out of here? <laughs> exactly. This is a waste of time. Let's go. So that's a wrap on the uh, the Trump okay. Tower meeting of June 9th. Yeah, I think it's, it's the frustrating thing about it is like it clearly indicates an intention to do something wrong, but like incompetence at it or something like that. Which I think I've seen in the summaries of this of the Mueller report is that they established intent on both sides, but the, there's missing pieces in the middle where like whether it's that it didn't happen or that there was incompetence or maybe they like successfully hid the the meaningful evidence right that's always the the hidden thing but they they haven't actually managed to prove fair enough fair enough so in our timeline what comes what comes after the june 9th what comes after the trump tower meeting well what comes after in the document (laughs) is the huge section of well that that is part of the section of Russian links with the Trump campaign. The, the Trump Tower is one of those subsections in that section. Um, Interesting, because, yeah. hold, hold on, in news reports, you hear a lot about the Trump Tower meeting, you hear a lot about social media, mm-hmm. but the actual links between the Trump campaign and Russia, you're saying that's the biggest part of the Mueller report, the volume, volume one of the Mueller report. Right, the biggest part of volume one is... Russian, it's uh, titled Russian Government Links with the Trump Campaign. And it's 108 pages of the 200 pages of Volume 1. And part of that is what we just talked about, the Trump Tower meeting. Uh, it also goes into, like, there was a, a letter of intent that Donald Trump signed in 2015. Uh, he had plans to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of details about the um, builders and, you know, banks oligarchs in Moscow that and their connections with Trump and how they met, for example, through like the uh, Miss Universe pageant okay. that, that he'd been involved with. So AJ. Yes, Jesse. This has brought us in our timeline basically right up to the election. Yeah. But you said there's some other stuff, some other cyber measures that the GRU took. Yes. Um, so the GRU didn't just hack emails and uh, like cloud storage accounts. They're actually still involved in some other hacking efforts. They have been caught hacking state boards of elections, secretaries of state, county governments, even the manufacturers of electronic voting machines. Yeah. So I think going forward, all of this document has been about the 2016 cycle. But there's significant evidence that there's still messing with our ability to to hold of course why, of course <laughs> why would they never got punished for it right it was effective they got a bunch of prestige on the world stage why wouldn't they keep keep why doing it stop? so i think the takeaway there for me is to always use a paper ballot <laughs> <laughs> yeah well we're gonna have to figure out some kind of response to prevent as a nation to prevent this from happening again nothing has happened uh, at least on the federal level now you were saying there are local elections did you look into that yeah a little bit i've been researching that they are trying to make it so there's at least a paper trail it wouldn't be a paper ballot but a little paper would print out and like, be like you voted for you know <laughs> oh god that creates whole different problems anyway yeah. in terms of like privacy mm-hmm. but when you say they, national or like... Yeah, they're trying to do it national. Really? Yeah, they're trying to... I mean, they're going to go state by state, but they want to make it nationwide. Okay. Yeah. So there are efforts to... There are going to be efforts, at, different efforts at reform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this does say that the, the Office of the Special Counsel understands that the FBI, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security the, of the states, 
are separately still conducting investigations on these like multiple hacking efforts on the election process. Got it. Yeah. So, yeah. Actually, in in the final appendix, appendix D, cover. I'm going to cover that kind of at the very end because okay. there's a lot still going on. Like even though the Mueller investigation is over, there's still a lot of investigations going on. Yeah. One little blurb on a random page that I highlighted is that the GRU gained access to a database containing information on millions of registered Illinois voters. That's just like one little blurb that they managed to hack an Illinois county computer somehow, and they got millions of voter records, which then I think back to like the social media campaign and knowing who to target or, right, you know, who do you, who do you display these ads to or these Facebook memes to? And if, if they're registered one way or the other, you know, it's targeted. Yeah, I hear you about that. That's kind of the the hidden threat about big data because we're we're all creating all this gen, generating all this data every day. It's all going somewhere and getting stored, and we don't know what they're going to do with it. And it's like useless now, but in the future, who who knows how that's going to be used to manipulate, control people? Uh, because it all comes down to power. You know, all this stuff, all these machinations, and all the time and money that Russia spent. It's about having power. You know, if Russia can get in and, and influence Trump or compromise Trump or his associates or other people in the administration, they can get more information or they can get their agenda pushed. Or, you know, they can go to China and say, hey, look what we, we push the Americans around. Whatever. Who knows how they use that? You know, they, they could be. I mean, one of the things that freaks me out about Trump is like when he uh, the Helsinki meeting where he met with Putin. Every time he's met with Putin, he's met one on one and he throws all the Americans out. Like, what's that about Putin's not throwing his guys out. They're probably recording it. Who knows what they're talking about? And they're going to have recordings of Trump and Putin saying God knows what. You know, it's just like... That we don't know. No clue. So anyway, that was kind of just random diversion. Yeah. So that was all I wanted to point out on their additional hacking is that it wasn't just emails. It wasn't just the DNC or Hillary. It was also... Yeah, anywhere they can get in. And that, to me, is even scarier because in the United States, our elections... They're national elections, but the administration of it is local. It's usually county or city. Right. So, you know, they're not going to have the money to have specialists to counter security, you know, cybersecurity specialists. It's just going to be standard security software. And right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what the Russians had going into this was they knew from Hillary Clinton's files, they knew like what counties and states they were targeting as, you know, swing states or or critical states to capture. They had a lot of voter registration information from various places that they'd hacked. They had... Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> let me ask you this one. Yeah. Aside, so we know about the Trump Tower meeting, and we know about Trump inviting Russia to hack. Yeah. Did the special counsel investigation turn up any other potential connections? You said there was computer stuff. Like, like what are, what, are there any other connections between Russia and the Trumps, the Trump campaign? Before, aside from those two that I called out. Yes. Yeah. There's, I mean, the section on the connections between those two organizations is 108 pages long. Like okay. there's, there's many documented cases. There's 108 pages of it. There's 108 <laughs> pages of connections between ru- official Russians who are acting to influence and the Trump campaign. There's right. 108 pages. Right. So, so look them up if you want to know, because it goes on and on for 108 pages. <laughs> That's right. And a lot of it is pretty interesting, but it's it's too dense to to verbalize just like end to end. Gotcha. Um, and the upshot is, even though these 
connections are, are demonstrated and it looks really fishy. No particular evidence that turned up. There, there actually have been many indictments that came about. The Mueller campaign actually indicted, I think, about a dozen Russians yes. who are safely in Russia. They're not, they're not going to come here to face justice, but they were indicted. And we have had indictments and, and now jail time served and yeah. all that kind of um, stuff here in America. 13 Russian nationals, one U.S. national were indicted. Um, Richard Penido, uh, he pleaded guilty for his role in supplying false or stolen bank account information that allowed the IRA conspirators to access U.S. online payment systems. I see. So, uh, and I never even heard Richard Pinoto. Uh, yeah, I said <laughs> Pinoto. So this, yeah, I don't even remember him in the news. The thing also about that 108 pages of connections is like it's not all smoking gun. It's just saying that like Trump knew these people from this event in 2013, and like Kushner had this connection from this previous job, and they're not all relevant necessarily they, they lay a fabric and a background but they're not key pieces of information they maybe imply motive or they imply like you know they, they might fill in that gap where you're like wait how did that person know to email jared kushner it's like oh yeah he went to college with somebody who studied abroad in russia i made that one up but top level gotcha so there were there were many connections was what you're saying 100, yes. 108 pages worth yes but but we don't have right. necessarily something that connects Approves a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russian government to do illegal stuff to win the election. Right. So the quote that I chose from the prosecution and declination decision section on page 174 is, although members of the IRA had contact with individuals affiliated with the Trump campaign, the indictment does not charge any Trump campaign official or any other U.S. person with participating in the conspiracy. That is because the investigation did not identify evidence that any U.S. person who coordinated or communicated with the IRA knew that he or she was speaking with Russian nationals engaged in criminal conspiracy. So maybe the Russians knew that they were committing crimes or conspiring, right? but they were using false personas or just anonymous personas. And the people in the Trump campaign were motivated to get that information, but they didn't know what was actually going on. Okay, and they didn't necessarily check every single person, do a background check to see who they were. Right. Yeah, it's just like, are you, you, get, are you useful to me A lot not? of these communications were like Twitter DMs <laughs> from just like a Twitter account that said like, hey, we've got information about Hillary Clinton. Okay, you know? wow. So it's not an identity that you can do a background check on. Got it, got it. That pretty much sums up volume one, I think. Okay. At least my findings of it. So it's very clear that Russia was doing a lot to interfere. It's pretty clear that members of the Trump campaign, possibly including Donald Trump himself, were trying to benefit from that. They, they definitely wanted the help from Russia. But it's not clear that any real crimes were committed at that level, at that, that sort of high level at the top. Right. Okay. So with that, I think we can wrap up our exploration of volume one. Thank you, AJ, for doing that. I know it was a lot of work. It's a lot of reading to do. It's kind of it's like swashbuckling. It's like it's like a spy novel or something. <laughs> like it's, it, yeah, it's, but like really like clumsy, boring bureaucratic spies. Yeah, it really. I mean, it was a lot of work, but I really appreciate being asked to do it. <laughs> cool. I don't know that I would have read it in this level of detail if I if I didn't have a reason. Assignment, <laughs> <laughs> but it was really interesting. Cool. So, what was something interesting that you learned having having read a report like this for the first time? Honestly, like. I was surprised at how readable it was. Okay. You know, I, I don't have any sort of law background. I've got a bachelor's degree. 
So there's that. Like I've read some heavy material, but this is the first time I've downloaded a PDF from like the Justice Department website. And I've always assumed that those sorts of documents would just be like reams of legalese and like Mm -hmm. according to this precedent and this case setting, you know. No, I mean, this is, this is, uh, there's screen, <laughs> screenshots of, uh, Facebook posts. There's like hmm. quoted tweets and it's, it's written in a very like readable language. So I found that pretty surprising as far as the overall experience. Obviously, I found a lot of the contents surprising, sure. but we've already talked about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I think with that, we'll just move straight on to volume two of the Mueller report. This is like the final 200 or so pages. Thanks for listening all the way till the end. This is Jesse again. I hope you liked our discussion. We put a lot of work into it. I hope you'll join us next week for our discussion of volume two of the Mueller report, where we discuss accusations against the president of obstruction of justice. We look at the evidence in that, how credible it is. We also discuss, did Mueller actually complete his task? This week marks two years since Rod Rosenstein issued the order creating the special counsel investigation led by Mueller in the first place. So we're going to discuss that. We're also going to discuss what were the actual legal outcomes in the real world and in the courts of the Mueller investigation and what is still happening. Is it all done? Is the Mueller report over? What comes next? I hope you join us for episode two next week. A very special thanks to Chauncey, Melissa, and AJ, especially AJ. He hasn't been on there that much, and he took on a huge role. So thanks to all of them, and thank you very much for listening. Please send any questions or feedback to podcast at secularhub.org. <laughs>